As many of you know, if you've been here, we're in the midst of the series on the Gospel of Luke uh, that we've been and subtitled Seeing Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And today we're going to be looking at the sign of Jonah as our scripture passage or title. And now, first of all, our reading from the Gospel of Luke comes from chapter 11, verse 29 through 36. 29 through 36. And remind you once again, this is the word of the Lord. And when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment and with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. And when your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it's bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays give you light. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God remains forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for your word and for the light that Jesus came to send us, we who so desperately need it. Father, help us today to understand and apply your word and receive it with meekness and readiness and eagerness that we might be sons and daughters of the light. And we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. As Luke's story continues, we're now in chapter 11, about halfway through that chapter. Things are rolling along and as, his, as Luke's story continues to unfold, Jesus has already 
way surpassed John the baptizer. The crowds that John had were great, but by this point in time in Jesus' ministry, Jesus was the shooting star. He was the one that everyone was coming to listen and to hear. He was the one who was now ascendant. John had decreased, and Jesus was at the apex of his earthly ministry. But as we know, that things were soon and were already beginning to go in a different direction toward Jerusalem. However, though this, there were great crowds that were following Jesus and wanting to hear him and wanting to see him do miracles and, and things like that, there were many religious leaders of the day that had become more and more suspicious of Jesus and his agenda. They had their own agenda. They didn't want or need him for the most part. There were some who followed Jesus faithfully, but others were only following him to ensnare him and to trap him. And at this point, many of them were openly hostile to Jesus and to his teaching. Others, many others among the crowd, there were the religious leaders, that's the ones I was just talking about, but there were others there as well that were not true disciples, but they were interested, shall we say, skeptics, agnostics, maybe we could call them. But they were still unsure, and they wanted to see what direction the wind was blowing before they went all in on Jesus. Because after all, you know, people can, can get really uh, hurt badly by getting in the wrong cause. And so, many around Jesus wanted to enjoy all the benefits of this kingdom that he was saying that he was bringing and was coming, and that, all that sounded great. But they didn't want to take any risks. They wanted to sit back and watch and see how things played out. And as you know, my friends, it is a deadly thing to be on the wrong side of a revolution. You've seen it in history. Some of you may have lived it in some sense. So, our passage now shows us Jesus' response to those who want a sign from heaven. Interestingly, again, so we've already seen the, the opponents of Jesus. They have already been attacking and trying to tell people that Jesus did his miracles by the power of Beelzebub. Now, we're coming to those that seem like they might have been interested followers, but they were playing the game, making sure they weren't going all in on Jesus. And so, Jesus has something to teach them and us. Listen to Mark 8, verse 12. And he sighed deeply in his spirit. This is the, another, the go, other gospel, Luke, and 
another, the other synoptic gospel, at Mark 8, 12. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. So Mark is saying the same thing that Luke is saying. Jesus is saying, you've come here to put me to the test to see how well I'll perform and whether you can safely be risk-free. That's not the way it is with me. That's not how it goes with the kingdom of God. So today, let's break it down. We're going to look at the sign, we're going to look at the sovereign, and we're going to look at the sermon. And so let's dig in with our, into our passage. The sign, that's where it starts. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that Jesus never, ever read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Some of you have read it. But I don't think Jesus ever read it. <laughs> Just listen to what he says. This generation is an evil generation. How would you like to have that uh, greeting? You're, you're in, standing out there kind of wondering how things are going to go. And, you know, and all of a sudden Jesus is saying, you are an evil generation. You see, he says, this generation, the one that Jesus came, sent from the Father, this one, he says, this generation is evil. You see, their wanting a sign might seem, uh, you know, not too big a deal. Might seem just that they just wanted a little neutrality. But what have you heard me tell you over and over again that Jesus has been teaching? There is no third play. You're either with him or you're without him. There is no in-between. And here in this situation, they were wanting a sign, and it seemed neutral, but it's Really, evidence of flat-out unbelief. Utter disbelief of Jesus. Jesus said that they will not receive any sign but what? Sign of Jonah. Now, you know the story of Jonah. We preached on it a number of years ago. Jonah, remember... Didn't start out so well in being a missionary. He ultimately had to, had to get uh, uh, basically spit out. But ultimately, he did what God told him to do. And an amazing thing happened. All these pagans, bloodthirsty pagans, repented. You also know that he was in the belly of the great fish for three days and nights. Interesting, Jesus will be saying and has already said that. So there's a connection, a strong connection there. You see, Jesus said they will not receive any sign except that of Jonah. 
So just as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so Jesus would be assigned to this generation, to the folks that are by and large listening to him. And he's not, of course, talking to his inward disciples and the true disciples, but in the vast crowds were his enemies and those that wanted to just be neutral. And he was saying to them, in the same way as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so would Jesus be assigned to this generation. And both Jonah and Jesus were what? Preachers of God's message. Preachers of God's message. And you know what that message was? Repent. Repent or perish. Jesus was saying that's the only, only sign you're going to get. Same one that the Ninevites got. You will repent or you will perish. There's no in-between. There's no other option. There's no way to play the middle. Listen to this quote by uh, Mike McKinley. He says, the point is that there is no such thing as a spiritual vacuum. If you do nothing, you will be under the influence of the devil. There are no spiritual orphans. Either God is your father or Satan is your master. And so there can be no neutrality or split loyalties in the conflict between Jesus and the devil. Have you thrown out your lot? Have you thrown your lot in with Christ? If not, do not imagine that you are somehow in Switzerland in this cosmic war. So, of course, what is Switzerland known as? The country of neutrality. You don't have that option. He never gave it to you and he never will. Now, the people of Nineveh, what happened? They responded in droves and God withheld his judgment on these filthy, evil Gentiles, bloodthirsty. God had mercy on them. Sadly, the same did not happen for this evil generation in Jesus' day. That, was a, that would have been a horrible thing. It didn't happen because they repented and God relented in mercy. Much to the chagrin of Jonah. But you see, many prophecy pundits today, a prophecy pundit is basically folks that just love to, to live in all of the prophecy portions of the Bible, <laughs> old and new. And, and they just, they're, they're, and many ways I was like that when I first became a Christian. I, I, you know, I, always, I was just drawn to that stuff like a magnet. And, and so back in the, those days and still today, you hear a lot of people using the phrase, the terminal generation. You know what they mean by that? That's someone that's telling you that they believe that Jesus is going to come back. The second coming is going to happen. 
in my lifetime. And thus they think of themselves. And they're sure, many of them are absolutely sure that it's going to happen in their lifetime. Only one problem is there have been people for thousands of years saying that same thing, believing that same thing. Hadn't happened. But that's what you call, quote, those who, who dub themselves thinking they're, they're going to be the ones that are part of the terminal generation. The second coming is coming, and it's going to happen in their time. But let me tell you something more amazing. Jesus was telling the unbelieving Jews of his day, of the ones he's talking about in this passage right here, today that we're reading and studying. He says, Jesus, Jesus was telling the unbelieving Jews of that day that they were going to be the terminated generation. Do you, you understand the difference of what I said? The terminal generation is someone thinks they're going to be on this earth when Jesus returns. The terminated generation is the one Jesus was talking to. And apart from those who did not believe in him, lights out. They're going to be utterly obliterated. Their whole, not just them individually or a group, the whole nation is going to end up being a pile of rubble. You see, Jesus is talking about, and he's already alluded to it already, and he will do so again before he gets to the cross. But he is forewarned and told that a terrible, terrible judgment is coming. The Holocaust judgment of AD 70. Now I'm going to just read you two brief clips from Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2, and then 21 and 22. This is what Jesus is saying, why I'm telling you to think of it like the terminated. That's what he's saying to the unbelievers to the skeptics and to the agnostics. He's saying to them, you don't understand what's coming. You, there is no in-between. You're with me or you're against me. And if you're with against me, you will be annihilated in a great judgment to soon come. Matthew 24, 1 through 2, Jesus left the temple and was going away. And when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, but he answered them, you see all of these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. If you've ever seen the size of the stones and the ruins of of Jerusalem in the temple it's it's unbelievable how could that be what kind of upheaval what kind of power could come and literally create something as horrible as that and then 
Jesus later, as he was telling more things about this time that was to come. It wasn't something way off. It was coming soon in their lifetime. Verse 21, for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. What a horrible, horrible termination an obliteration of a whole nation. That's what Jesus was saying. Is the train has already left the station and it's barreling down the tracks at you and your generation because you have not believed that someone who is greater is in your midst now. And you do not believe him. You do not receive him. Now, there is a next, an interesting section. We could call that the sovereign. That's the sign. The sovereign. Who's that? Well, Jesus was not through. He had another historical illustration. He said, long time ago, he was telling them, there was a great queen, an Arabian queen known as the Queen of the South. And she had heard about the great Solomon, David's son. And she had heard about his wisdom and about his prowess and about his fabulous wealth. And so she, being far, far off, made a great arduous journey to come. And you can read about it in 1 Kings 10, 8 through 9. But he came to see whether it was really true. And she basically, when she saw it, she says, I, I, this isn't half of it, what I've been told. She, Jesus says in this passage, she, on the, even though she was a pagan Gentile, she will stand up in the day of judgment and condemn you rightly. You evil generation. She will find mercy. But you won't. And the same thing with the Ninevites. Jesus affirmed the queen's moral superiority to this generation. As he did with Nineveh. Those guys were awful. And he said, compared to you. Some of you, you Pharisees, some of you, you people sitting on the fence, you are far, far more evil. And you will be judged, and Nineveh, the Ninevites will stand up and say, Lord, they deserve it. This is not, this is not fun stuff. This is, this is dreadful judgment that Jesus is talking about. To those who are evil in this generation. You see, he imagined her standing at the final judgment and bearing witness to the Jews of their stubborn unbelief. Jesus was telling the crowds, these pagans, these Gentiles were morally superior. Both the queen 
of Sheba and the Ninevites. But the real point that Jesus was making, he was saying, you don't understand. Great as Solomon was, there's a greater one right here now. And you're blind as a bat. You can't see it. It's right in front of you. And you reject and you will crucify me out of your hatred. The real point he was making is the one greater than Solomon and the one more trustworthy than Jonah was standing in their midst. He was the only stairway to heaven. And they're about to completely say, no thanks. We're doing just fine. We'll do it our way. Their generation wanted more signs, more proofs. Now, here's the sermon, the last part. It has something to do with light. Jesus is talking an analogy about light. Jesus pictured his preaching as a lamp. He was talking about himself. as light. Remember, he's already called himself what? The light of the world. And he says, I am the light of the world. And he pictures his preaching as a lamp that was lit and placed where everyone could see it. A bright, shining light. And if the people could not see it, the light, could, could not see the light, it was because their eyes were bad. Because Jesus is shining, putting out huge, huge amount of light, wattage, brightness. And he said, if you can't see that, it's not because I'm not putting out the light. It's because you are blind as a bat. You cannot see. You do not see. You don't want to see. Jesus, concluding many sermon is a direct rebuke to those who claim to need a sign and more information. How many times have you ever heard that of unbelievers, agnostics and atheists? Well, if something would happen, if I could just see this, or if this would just happen, I would. No, you wouldn't. Jesus has already told people. People that say that, they will not believe that one rise from the dead. And he said, you're going to do that with me because you're going to kill me, but I'm going to rise from the dead and you still won't believe. How evil is that generation or any generation that views the Lord of glory, the Prince of light that way? You see, their problem was not lack of information. Jesus had not hidden the light, but he had scattered it far and wide. So you see, there is plenty of light coming through. That's not the problem. Jesus is putting out high, high intensity light of the truth. But one's eye that is evil, clouded, he or she simply just won't, won't get it because they're blinded. They're condemned. Why? 
Because of their sins, yes. Everyone, every one of us is rightfully under condemnation. Because we have rebelled against our God and our Father in heaven. But we are condemned, yes, because of our sin. But it's really something else that's even more terrible, more awful. We are also condemned because God has provided the light for us. And so many refuse to come to it in order to have their wrongdoings and their sins exposed. So what? So they can be forgiven and removed. We call that the gospel. We call that the gospel. You mean, you mean God says, yeah, I've got every right to smush you like a bug. You have, you have trampled on my world. You have torn it to pieces. You are evil. But I'm sending my son. And he's going to bear that yuck and that evil that's in you and that blindness. And he's going to make you see. Because he's going to be the substitute that is going to come and die in your place, the death you deserve. And you are going, the guilty one who should be destroyed, you're going to get to go free. What an amazing, an amazing truth. Their wrongdoings were exposed. You see, one of the worst things about righteous people, quote, that think that they're good, they just try to never admit that they're really bad. But you know what they do when they do that? They hermetically seal themselves into ultimate judgment and destruction. Whereas if they simply said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I don't deserve it. You have every right to crush me. But will you in mercy receive me? You said you sent your son to be a propitiation for my sins. To take away my wrongdoing and give me his right Righteousness, his right doing. You see, the person that keeps trying to do it on his own and make and doesn't tell the truth, you have to have the wrongdoing exposed. You have to, it's called repentance. And then you believe and follow the light that God has sent. In the 90s, Jimmy Cliff had a big hit song that began like this. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all the obstacles in my way. Couldn't see, but now I can. Gone are the dark clouds 
that had me blind. Gone are the dark clouds that had me blind. You see, that's what we have to do to come to Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus, to admit that we're blind. He is the light. He is the only one that can bring us out of our blindness and into the light. But if you and I are walking in the light with Jesus, it's going to be a bright, 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 sunshiny day. Amen? Let's pray. Father, how could it be that rebels, evil people like us, could find that one day it will be a bright, 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 sunshiny day. Because Jesus, the light of the world, has come. And he has taken away all the darkness and the blindness to those who believe in him and trust him and him alone. Oh God, for such mercy, we deserve nothing but condemnation, and yet you've taken our wrongdoing and put it on Jesus so that we, the guilty ones, can go free. Oh, Lord, bless your holy name. Thank you for Jesus, the light of the world, and we pray in his name.